0: You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. 1 Corinthians. We're going to start a new sermon series today. Uh, We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, This is a a series of sermons that the pastors and myself and many of you have been uh, anticipating for quite some time that we've been praying a lot about, uh, that we've been seeking the Lord regarding. And so I'm confident that uh, the word has power in of itself. But even as we come behind it in prayer and seeking the Lord together, I'm confident that he'll accompany it today and even in the weeks ahead uh, with power, with clarity, with unity. Um, But I want you to imagine uh, our church, as it were, uh, standing at a doorway. I know that may be hard to imagine, but but standing at a doorway 15 years ago or so, 14 or 15 years ago, even years before I was part of the church, before most of you were part of the church, uh, about 15 years ago, a door, I would say, was opened by our church family. Uh, As our pastors went through this very book of the Bible and even these very chapters that we're going to look at the next several weeks, uh, there was a door that we opened up, uh, but that I would say uh, that as a church family, we've yet to fully walk through. That we've yet to actually uh, pass through into the room that we opened. Uh, And what happened years ago, just in a quick summary, was that a dramatic shift took place in our understanding of what people call spiritual gifts or gifts of the Spirit. Uh, As we were going through uh, this book of the Bible, uh, coming up to chapter 12, 13, 14, a dramatic shift took place in our understanding as a church where previously in the first few decades of our church, uh, we had held to a common belief that people call cessationism. It was this uh, this belief uh, that there are certain gifts of the Holy Spirit that long ago in the early church uh, that those gifts stopped being given by the holy spirit Uh, that 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 faucet was shut off that that door was closed that that those gifts were not given any longer gifts like we're going to see a few chapters from now gifts like prophecy and tongues things like that but as we came to this section of scripture we became convinced that that actually was not the case uh, that, that, that biblically, that no argument uh, could be held to and, and consistently argued that would, would show us that, that would demonstrate that those gifts stopped being given. And we, we started to believe that the Spirit does give those gifts, that he can give those gifts. And so it was as if this room that we thought had been locked and shut uh, where those gifts had been given, they used to operate back long ago in the early church. It's as if we assumed that door was locked. And so we just never went to it. We never uh, tried to open it. But as we came to the word and saw, I think the spirit does give those gifts. We went to that door that we thought had been locked. And as it were, kind of checked the knob and found that it was unlocked. That, that it was actually open. Uh, that those gifts can be given. That they are given. And that shift in us as a church, those things are things we have not been embarrassed about. We have taught those actively, that belief that the gifts of the Spirit continue. We've taught that. We've taught that. I've taught that even from our our pulpit here. Uh, So we've taught it. We've uh, updated our church's statement of faith uh, to reflect that we believe that, that the gifts of the Spirit can all be given today and that they're for the good of our church But yet I think it would be fair to say, and I think if you've been around our church, you would probably say something accurately or say something similarly, is that uh, those beliefs have largely stayed on paper and not translated into practice that they've largely stayed in the the logical realm the intellectual realm um, but they've not translated into actual action it's as if if you go to that that doorway idea if we open that door as a church 14 or 15 years ago uh, i think our, our feet in some sense have been firmly planted at the doorway we, we've looked into the room we've kind of peered our head in like you can kind of do looking around the room seeing what these gifts are like trying to read as much as we can about these gifts talking to people uh, who use these gifts Uh, we've peered into the room we've looked we've studied it we've seen what the bible says about it but we haven't actually entered it Uh, and there's various reasons that i I think that we haven't Um, but it is important as individual human beings and it's important as churches as groups of christians it's important that we seek as best as we can to align our beliefs with our practices, uh, that, that we don't uh, fall into a, a sense of an, what I would call an unintentional hypocrisy, uh, where we say we believe this but then when we see our lives and we see how we function together, we actually seem to indicate that we believe something differently. And so as a church and as pastors, uh, we're wanting to, to guide our church these next several weeks, starting in 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to slowly move through this text of, of scripture. And we want to go back to these very texts that years ago were so pivotal to us as a church family that, that opened our eyes uh, to see that these gifts can be given and are given. We want to go back to them and slowly Uh, work our way through them again and i'm confident as we do that that the spirit will give us understanding that he'll give us clarity that he'll help us to ask the right questions and answer them the right way that he'll guide us to understand what he's revealed here in scripture but an even deeper hope is that as he helps us understand as he gives us clarity and understanding is that that the spirit will then accompany that in enabling us to potentially practice these things as he gives them uh, that, that, that we would be not just standing at the doorway and having a good idea of what's in there and what it's like, but that we would even be willing to step together as a church family into that room uh, because we're confident that it's for our good, that, that the, the gifts that are in that room are for our good uh and if they're used the right way used with the right motive and so i'm excited for this series i know there's a lot a lot of questions in people's minds uh that we're glad to talk about in all sorts of contexts individually and groups Um, but these chapters of the bible first corinthians 12 13 14 and we're gonna even go a little bit into 15 in a few weeks they are the most i would say most thorough and most direct chapters in the whole new testament about spiritual gifts Uh, you see teachings in other parts of the bible most certainly but these are the most thorough and the most direct uh, chapters in the bible and if you're anything like me before you launch out onto a trip like if you pull up your gps or if you old school and just get out of Actual map like we used to do. Uh, I like when I'm about to go on a trip to at least look at sort of what lies ahead, like what roads I'm going to take and what what is in front of me. So I wanted to, real quickly to let you know what we're going to cover in chapters 12, 13, and 14. I think we have this up on the screen. This is, uh, I would say, a very simplified view of what Paul talked about in these chapters to this church. Now, chapter 12, where we're starting today, and we're going to take a couple weeks to move through this chapter, is Paul describing in, in different ways how the Spirit gives gifts. Uh, how he gives them, uh, the how like he gives individuals gifts. He gives uh, the collective body gifts so that they can function together as a body. We're going to talk about all those things, about how the Spirit gives gifts then chapter 13 uh one you may hear at weddings often uh although it's written more directly to this local church about spiritual gifts uh it's all about love and about the proper what i would call the proper motivation for using those gifts so the spirit gives us each gifts and he wants them to be used chapter 13 is trying to help that early church and help us as we read this today to think What should motivate me when I use this gift, no matter what the gift is, whether it's a speaking gift or a serving gift, whether it's public or private? Uh, How should I use it? What should motivate me in using it? And then the last chapter, and these get increasingly, I'll I'll warn you, they get increasingly uh, complex, and we'll have to slow down as we go through these chapters. But chapter 14 is Paul actually giving some instructions about how to use a few gifts in particular. If you scan through that, you'll see that the main two that seem to be problems for them uh, that can still be confusing to us today are the gifts of prophecy and the gifts of tongues. Uh, He spends a lot of time in chapter 14 giving that church instructions about ways to use those, ways to not use them. And so we'll go through that text and see some of those instructions as well. So that's just a real quick overview of kind of the roads will be on what Paul talked about. But uh, the reason I think Paul took such late went to such uh, intensive labors to write all this uh, to the corinthians is because the situation there in corinth when he wrote this letter was kind of complicated when it came to spiritual gifts there was a lot going on uh, inside this church I, I tried to think of three words that i think we'll also have up on the screen uh, that could just de- 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 uh, describe what was going on in the life there at corinth of this church Uh, If you read through this letter, you'll see right out of the gate. If you read chapter 1, verse 7, for example, you'll see that this church had an abundance of spiritual gifts. Uh, Paul said to them as he was writing his little intro to this whole letter, he said that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. That's quite a statement to say. He he knew that they had a bunch of gifts and they had it uh, because the Spirit wanted them to in extra measure. They had all sorts of gifts and abundance of gifts but the problem came in what i would call the arrogance of certain people when they would use some of those gifts uh, that you piece together as you read this letter they had a lot of problems going on but one with spiritual gifts was that certain people who had certain gifts started to act as if the gift they had was the one that really was the one that was a sign of maturity that was really a sign that the spirit is in me and if you don't have that gift he must not be at work in And they're starting to get this arrogant use of certain gifts... And accompanying that, they started to get kind of, I, I like the word wonky. They started to get kind of wonky in how they would use these gifts, where they would just use them selfishly. They would just say whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, and wouldn't care how it landed on people, wouldn't care what it, how it made people feel, or what it made, uh, how the impact that it had on their brothers or sisters in the church. So they started to be arrogant and kind of reckless, even, how they would use these gifts. And what that, you could imagine what that led to then with certain Christians there in Corinth is that it started to create in some people what I would call an aversion to some of the spiritual gifts. Where they started to see, man, these people are using these crazy. Like these people are, are, they're not loving. These aren't being helpful to us. Like they're they're being selfish and, and cocky as they use these things. And you get hints like near the end of chapter 14, for example, that some people just wanted to shut certain gifts down. They thought this is not worth it. This this is having bad effect on us as a church. And it's as if if we're using that door metaphor that certain people in that church want to just say, because they were living in the room, right? That's like they want to get out of that room and shut the door and lock it and throw away the key and say, we will not do these things. And they, it seems, we're going to see when we start here, uh, I know there's a lot of prep comments here, but when we start chapter 12 here, we'll see that this situation was so complicated for them that they actually wrote to Paul, the guy who wrote this letter back to them, and were saying, please help us. Like, we need some help to understand these things. We need some help to be united moving forward as a church. And in God's kindness, he had Paul write back to them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He had, them, had Paul write down instructions and guidelines and encouragements to them that we now are privy to as well. The inerrant word of God here in First Corinthians chapter 12, 13. 14 so that's where we're going to start today so have you found that that was a long intro you found first corinthians 12 i hope by now we're going to read we're going to start this morning with the first seven verses of this uh, chapter and we're going to see how paul starts this we took a quick look at what he's eventually going to cover and maybe some of what was prompting him to write these things but now we're actually start to see what he said and what now the spirit would have to say to us today as a church that reads this as well So follow along with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common going to be two main sections the first will be significantly uh, longer time-wise than the second but two main sections that i think uh you could categorize what paul writes here into I, i would call them the common ground and the common good Uh, Common ground that these Corinthians shared with each other and then the common good that the giving of spiritual gifts was supposed to bring about in their church. And so we'll start with the first six verses. Uh, That's the umbrella I'll put uh, over this uh, phrase, the common ground uh, that these early uh, Christians shared together. And you can see this in a few different ways as Paul starts this section of the letter. Okay, he he says, uh, I would say first that he wanted them to share and remember the common ground that they had as learners. Uh, Did you notice how he he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So like I mentioned, they had apparently written to him and asked him for instruction about gifts of the Spirit. You can piece that together if you look back at the start of chapter 7, for example. Paul says, now concerning the matters you wrote to me about, and then he talks about a certain subject. And he does it with a few different subjects uh, throughout this letter. So it seems that we don't have access to this, but that this church wrote Paul and said, can you please help us with this and with this? And with this, these are things going on. These are confusing things, hard things that we're dealing with. Can you please help us? And Paul, in God's kindness, writes back. And so, this is the section of the letter where he's starting to address their questions about spiritual gifts. And he wants them to be informed. That's where he starts. as as he wants them to be informed he doesn't want them to be without knowledge without understanding about spiritual gifts he wants them to know certain things and to believe certain things about the spiritual gifts even before he ever starts to tell them about motivations for how to use them or instructions about how to use them he wants them to understand more basic fundamental things he wants them to have knowledge about these gifts he wants them to be learners together He's writing the whole church saying, I don't want any of you to be uninformed. Like you all need to be knowing certain things and learning certain things together. And I, I, say, I would say this, and I'm grateful that this chapter starts this way, because this is important for us as a church as well. As we come to this question that we remember we share common ground as learners. Uh, that that we all need to be informed about the gifts of the Spirit. That none of us just have this perfect, exhaustive knowledge about the gifts of the Spirit, your pastors included. Uh, where we just need no instruction and no guidance. We all need to be informed. We all need to be instructed, every single one of us. And in God's kindness, he provides us just that in these chapters. And so we need to come to these texts humbly. Come to these texts as learners. It is important as we go through these and if your life groups talk through these subjects, which uh, we'd encourage many, uh, if not most of your groups to do this fall, we want you to be uh, realizing the importance of asking questions of searching the scriptures, uh, of being willing to dialogue and and consider uh, viewpoints that may be stretching to you at times, that may be uh, the things that you haven't always believed, but always, always, always we need to be learners who come back to the word of God. When Paul says that he doesn't want them to be uninformed, he's literally writing the Bible for them as he does it. And as we come to this question, as we seek to be learners together, we can learn from other Christians. We can learn from their uh, wisdom. We can learn from the things that they've learned. But we must always, most foundationally, be learners from the Bible. And so we're going to be doing that as we go through this series. I would encourage you to do that as you have conversations and discussions and process these things. To Always be coming back to the scriptures and always be coming as a learner. Not one who already has answers and just lays them over the Bible, but that one come as one who wants to learn and be guided by the Word itself. And so they had common ground as learners. But I love how Paul starts this. He interjects right in that first sentence. This word "brothers." Did you notice that he he introduced that similar phrase now concerning such and such several times in the letter but to my knowledge he doesn't ever say brothers when he does it when he introduces these other subjects says now concerning this and just starts telling them things now concerning this just starts telling them other things when it comes to this issue he says now concerning spiritual gifts brothers i don't want you to be uninformed and i think this is important for us because paul was wanting them to remember the common ground they had a spiritual family Uh, that as they came to this issue that was obviously already tense for them, he wanted them to remember that they are brothers, they are sisters in the Lord that they are united as a family. They weren't just some group of random people that would come together and debate things and whatnot. They were bonded together as family. And this is important for us to remember because this issue can be divisive sometimes when using the hand of Satan. It can be something that he uses to, to break relationships with us. But Paul wants them to remember and the Spirit wants us to remember we are brothers and sisters together as a church family. As we study this, as we think about it, as we seek to apply the word of God. As you get to verse 2, keeping with this umbrella of common ground, I think you see that Paul is trying to help them see that they have a common background in a sense as well they all have a common backstory and we all have a common backstory as well he reminds them of their past in verse 2 doesn't he he said he reminds them of when he says that they were pagans and when they had been led astray to these idols these false gods uh, who were mute who could not speak he's reminding them that they all used to be in that state They all used to be without God. They all used to be enemies of God. And that's the same of everyone in this room as well. Myself included. That all of our backgrounds include a time of life, maybe a long time of life as we started where we were enemies of God. That could feel weird of why is Paul reminding them of that? Why is he reminding them of their background if he's talking about spiritual gifts? I think what Paul in part is trying to do here is that he's trying to remind them that if they have any spiritual gifts, it is because God gave them to them. It It is an act of grace that God gave them any spiritual gift that they have. They didn't come into the world as part of God's people with the Holy Spirit, with gifts. They all entered the world as God's enemies, following after idols. And if they possess any gift of the Spirit, and that includes us in this room, if we have any gift of the Holy Spirit, it is because God gave it to us. It's not because it was just innate in us. It's not because we worked hard to get it. It is because the Lord chose to give it to us. And that should cut at our pride. It should cut at our arrogance if we think about the gifts we have and the ways that we use them in the church. Earlier in this letter, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul had asked them this rhetorical question where he had said, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? it's this really simple rhetorical argument where he's saying everything you have, especially every good thing you have in life, was a gift to you from God. And remember that when you use it. Remember that when you're considering not using it that it is a gift uh, to you and so paul points them back here in verse two to their background to cut up pride and to remind them that any spiritual gift they have is a, an act of grace it's a gift of grace from god and as he moves to verse three i would say that he he's pointing them to the common ground that they share and that all of them in this church have the holy spirit already there was this temptation in their setting, for whatever reason, for like I mentioned earlier, for certain people to think, well, this is the gift that you will have if you have the Holy Spirit. Like, you may believe the right things, but if you have the Holy Spirit, you're going to have this gift. And a lot of times, it was even speaking in tongues, praying in tongues. It was like, that's the sign of the Holy Spirit in your life. And if you don't have that gift, they would, sometimes, it seems to think that you don't have the Spirit, or you don't have the Spirit in the same measure. As me, and I think Paul, right out of the chute, here is trying to cut against that. And he's saying, yes, there are two types of people in the world. There are people who have the Spirit and there are people who don't. But the way that you tell the difference between them, the people who have the Spirit of God and the people who don't, he says, is what they believe about Christ. Is do they say that Jesus is accursed? That he's dead in a grave? somewhere if they say that and believe that and live as if that's true they do not have the spirit of god but if they say jesus is the lord they have come to see that this man who is crucified outside jerusalem died in their place and that after he was buried in the tomb that he was raised from the dead and made lord of the universe and they now realize that they must bend the knee to him and that they get to share an eternal life because of him, if they call him Lord, Paul's saying that person has the spirit, like that is the work that the Spirit does in all of his people. He'll give gifts, different measures, different ways to different people, but if someone professes Jesus as Lord, they have the Spirit. I would say it this way, this may be my main point under the heading of Common Ground, is that the mark of the Holy Spirit is the proclamation of Jesus as Lord, not the possession of particular gifts. That is the mark of the Holy Spirit, the proclamation of Jesus as Lord, not the possession of certain spiritual gifts. I was, I was thinking of this. I, I think I may have used this illustration before, but I find it helpful that there's certain families that have certain things that just tip you off that a person is part of that family. Have you ever noticed this? I'm not going to ask you, for examples because they may be embarrassing or something we don't like about our family. But sometimes there's certain mannerisms that families have. There's certain looks uh, that are characteristics, even visually, that certain families have that when we see that person, we go, oh, that's one of the Smiths. Oh, that must be one of, I don't know, the Washingtons, whoever. Like that that's so-and-so. That must be part of so-and-so's family because we see certain traits in them. If you're looking for traits to mark the people of God, to mark the people who have the Holy Spirit, it is that they profess Jesus as Lord, plain and simple. It's not that they have certain gifts. It's not that they have certain abilities. It's do they bend their knee to Christ and cast their eternal hope upon him. That is the mark of the Holy Spirit. That is the the identifying factor in the people of God. This is so important for us as a church family to remember as we start this study to remember the common ground that we have in this room, to remember the common ground that we share as Christians. That people within our church have different gifts. People have different understandings of gifts, but we all profess Christ as Lord. Amen. We agree on that. And that is the most miraculous work that the Holy Spirit does is to change a heart that hated Jesus into a heart that loves him. And we must remember that, that that is the mark of the Holy Spirit in us is our love for Christ. It is not our beliefs about gifts. It is most certainly not our possession of certain gifts. And we must keep this in mind as we dialogue, as we maybe even have a loving debate between people, as we have discussions. We must remember the common ground that we share, that we are all bought by the blood of Christ, that we all are united with him, that our hopes are set on him and him alone. Verses 4, 5, and 6. I think I'll just mention these briefly. I think you can see in these a common ground, I would say, even amongst the Trinity. Uh, Paul here mentions all three members of the Trinity, if if you pay attention. He says that there's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's the Holy Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There's the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And he says, and there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God. That's a phrase often Paul uses to talk about God the Father. It's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And I love this, that Paul starts here by by indicating to this church and indicating to us that the Trinity works together. The members of the Trinity work together in the giving of spiritual gifts. That it's not as if the Holy Spirit is just some rogue member of the Trinity doing what he wants. They work together. They work together in the giving of gifts. They work together in the empowering of gifts to be used and to impact people. And I appreciate this because sometimes, and you'll see even as Paul writes these chapters, he's most often most often mentioning the Holy Spirit. We call them gifts of the Spirit, spiritual gifts. The, the, he mentions the Holy Spirit a lot. But I love here that he indicates very clearly to us that the father and son are involved in the giving and the operating and the empowering of spiritual gifts as well because there's this subtle temptation that sometimes happens in people where we uh where we can long for interactions with the holy spirit we long for like fresh engagements with the holy spirit and we're eager for manifestations of the spirit like paul talks about in chapter 14 and we get so enamored with the holy spirit that we lose sight of preaching about christ and the cross, and the resurrection. And we lose sight of teaching about God the Father, the one who is the architect, the plan, the sovereign, who has sent Christ in this world, who has sent us the Holy Spirit. And may we never, ever, ever be a church that pursues the Holy Spirit to the neglect of the pursuit of Christ and of God the Father. They work together. They are inseparable, always have been, always will. I was thinking, I'm trying to think of an illustration to describe this. And I was I was talking with my kids. I was thinking about how when we go to Stephanie's parents' house, uh, we call her parents mama and papa. I don't know what words you guys use to describe grandparents. Uh, we call them mama and papa. And oftentimes when, when they give us presents, we, for whatever reason, when they give us gifts, especially to the kids, we'll often say, that gift was from mama. That's how we'll say it. Like, and we, we say that gift was from mama. And we don't mean to exclude Papa. We don't mean to exclude him. But she's the one who thinks the most about giving the gift. She's the one who goes to the store or goes to the garage sale in her case. Uh, she, she finds wonderful gifts to give to us and we love that she's thoughtful and she thinks of wonderful gifts to give to our family but we often forget that papa is the one who is working in the marketplace he's the one who day in and day out is gaining income for their family for them to be able to use together and so those gifts even though she's the one who's most forward at the most front end of giving the gifts and picking them out and finding them for us they come from them collectively And that that same is true with gifts of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who's spoken of as giving gifts, empowering gifts most often. But those gifts come from Christ, and they come from God the Father as well. So there's immense common ground that we share. There's common ground that the members of the Trinity, the persons of the Trinity share. But Paul now, as he gets to verse 7, he shifts gears briefly, and he talks about these gifts being for what I would call the second umbrella, the common good. So there's a lot of common ground they share, but he wants to end this little section today by talking about the common good that these gifts are to bring about. In verse 7, he says this, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. There's a lot that he packs in to this statement. First, he says that to each is given a manifestation of the spirit or the manifestation of the spirit. That's important. He says to each is given. You probably already know this, but I would encourage you to believe this and internalize it, that each of us, if we are Christians, have been given a gift, if not many gifts, by the Holy Spirit. There no exception every christian as the spirit and dwells them is given at least a gift if not many gifts and there's a variety of them we saw that in verses four five and six right there are varieties of gifts there's different kinds of gifts that are used in different ways we'll get a few weeks to work through some more explanations of these as he goes down through chapter 12 but i want you to see that each of us is given a gift Every single one of us is given a gift. And that means that each of us must play a role in the life of the church God has placed us in. That he has given us gifts, every single one of us. Not just certain gifts to certain people who uh, lead certain things or on stages or whatever you want to think of. That they, we all are given gifts. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. We're going to hammer on that the next several weeks because we want us each to know our value and importance in the life of the church. That there is not just certain gifts that, that, that work in extra measure and then everybody else's gifts are sort of diminished. But we all have gifts. We all have contributions that are essential to the life of the church. And if we're not operating in those things, then we're not experiencing the common good that we can if they're being used. There's some diminishment of the common good that's developing in us if we don't use those gifts. he says, to each is given, listen to this, the manifestation of the spirit. Did you notice that? Sometimes when we think of spiritual gifts, we just think of them purely as abilities or skills or strengths things like that. We think this person has a serving gift. This person has an administrative gift. This person has a gift of encouragement. She's really good at thinking of how to encourage people. This person has a gift of prayer, a gift of faith, a gift of hospitality. We think of these things as as if they're just skills and abilities. And in some sense, they are. They're, They're things to be used. They're things to operate. But Paul describes it here as a manifestation of the Spirit. That when we have gifts, when we have those abilities, when we have those strengths, those are ways that the Holy Spirit is making himself known through you. Where he personally is making himself known to the church through you through the abilities that you have. They're not just skills uh, and abilities, but they are a way that the Spirit is making himself visible, that he is making himself known, that he is impacting your fellow Christians in the church as you use those gifts. May we never simply think that they are, ta- or that they are abilities and strengths that, that are just some uh, cold calculated ability, but that they are a very personal means by which the Spirit impacts the church through you. when he says that they're manifestations of the spirit that means they're to be seen that means they're to be visible that means they're to be demonstrated to the church not just kept to yourself that if he gives you gifts they are to be used they are to be seen because they're a way by which he builds up the church and he says that they are given for the common good i summarize this point uh, under the common good this way, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to build up the church, not to puff up the individual. They are given to build up the church, not to puff up the individual who has them. We ought to be marked as Christians with a sincere and weighty desire to benefit fellow Christians with the gifts God's given to us, not just to use them to be seen for the sake of being seen, Not just to use them for the sake of being applauded and appreciated and patted on the back and recognized. But for the sake of the good impact that it has on others. For the way that it builds up encouragement and faith and confidence in other Christians. It's as if God gives us, we like to use gift cards in our day and age. It's as if he gives us a gift, a gift card, but says you must use it on others. You cannot use it on yourself. Like I'm giving you this gift cannot buy stuff for yourself. That is out of bounds. It is always 100% to build up other Christians. That is what he is saying. These gifts are there for the common good. And yes, we are part of the church that's benefiting from uh, the gifts that we use. So we can have some remnant effect where we're built up ourselves through a gift. But the primary benefit of using your gifts is for the edification. That's why we're calling it the building up of the church. The use of all gifts is for the building up the church and when we remember that gifts are for the common good this should mark us with humility as well John Bunyan, the man who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, uh, wrote in his autobiography, he wrote a quote uh, that I I came across again this week, where he was talking about people who have gifts of the Spirit, maybe who have them in extra measure, and he said this. It's kind of some old English, but I think we maybe have this on the screen, uh, this quote from John Bunyan. Uh, If not, I'll just say it slowly. Uh, But he says, Imagine this person with a lot of gifts. He hath cause to walk humbly with God and to be little in his own eyes. And to remember with all that his gifts are not his own, but the church's. And that by them he has made a servant to the church. When God gives us gifts, whatever they may be, they are always to be used for the church are always to be used for the benefit of other christians and that should give us a sense of humility and sobriety but also excitement to say man god can use me he he will use me if we're all given gifts and all the gifts are for the benefit of the church that means if you're a christian god wants to and will use you to build up fellow christians that is exciting that ought to motivate us to say what is my gift what are my gifts how can i use them to build up the church and I love that he ends this phrase. He says that they are for the common good. I want to end with that today. But he says that the gifts of the Spirit, and he's not sorting them into categories here, but all of them are for the common good. That there is good effect that comes from proper use of each and every gift that's described in the Bible. There's good effect. I completely understand that we have sometimes some nervousness or we've seen abuses of certain gifts. We, I have an aversion to those things just as many of you do. When there's When there's gifts that are misused, when there's gifts that are used improperly or selfishly or chaotically. But gifts are for the common good. And when they are used the right way, when they are used with the right motive, they build other Christians up. They have a good effect on the church. And so may we, as we approach this subject in the weeks to come, as we deal with delicate things and sometimes things that may create create an aversion in our heart to say, I just want to keep that door shut. May we remember Paul's phrase here, may it be lodged in our head that these gifts are for the common good. They are for the church. They are for the good of Christ's people. Paul wanted to inform these Corinthian Christians. He, wanted, he wants to inform us. The Holy Spirit wants to inform us as well. He wants us to ask questions. He wants us to think. But in these chapters, we're going to see Paul wanted to inspire the Corinthian Christians as well. He didn't want them to just know all the right answers and have all the right logical answers about the spiritual gifts. He wanted to inspire them to use them in the right way. to to inspire them to use them with the right motivations and that's on the heart of our pastors as well in the next couple weeks is not just that we would know all the right answers although we start with understanding but that we would be inspired as well to use these gifts to sense what gifts has god given me what gifts has god given you how can we use them to build each other up so he wanted them to be informed he wanted them to be inspired but he also wanted them to be instructed. To not just think, well, if I just have right motives, I can use gifts however I want. He wanted them to be instructed in how do you use it? What do you do? What do you not do? And we're going to cover that as well as we walk through these passages of Scripture. We're going to be informed. I trust that we're going to be inspired. And I trust that we will be instructed by the word of God as well. But may we remember that these gifts are for the common good. uh, That they are for the good of Christ's people.